Thank you for listening to this Belly Up Sports Podcast Network product. Some said we go belly up, so we made it our name, and we're still here. You're listening to Theater and College Hoops. I'm Subi. Alongside me is Taylor Dammel and The Shark. We're brought to you by the Barnburner Podcast Network. Go subscribe on whichever device it is that you use. Your College Hooper of the Week this week is Jamari Trailer, former power forward for the Kansas Jayhawks. Uh, he was an instrumental player down low for them. I don't know if he went to the Final Four or not, but the Jayhawks back in the Final Four this year along with three Blue Bloods. We're brought to you by Royal Digital Marketing, a.k.a. RDM. RDM specializes in website development and digital marketing for small businesses and startups. So if you need a website, contact them at C-O-L-I-N at royaldigital.co. That's Colin at royaldigital.co. And of course, make sure to check out the website at theaterandcollegehoops.com. And you can always follow us at on Twitter at CBB Theater. You should also follow me at 2B232 to find out where the feet is. And make sure to follow Taylor at Taylor Dammel and the shark at the underscore shark underscore BB. Let's open the curtains. officially recovered from this past weekend but it's taken me close to 48 hours reliving recanting on an emotional even a physical come down from a bachelor party weekend that is pretty indescribable but we were of course celebrating the shark and i do want it to be known that i am now officially back in the saddle for this week and I'm 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 pushing I'm pushing three to four days where I need the recovery time. Shark, how are you feeling? When did you get back to neutral? Or are you still working? No, I'm back to neutral. I'm a back to neutral guy. I, I normally don't get impacted too much by this stuff, but I mean that certainly was a come down, as an emotional come down. Um, long nights for sure. We saw probably the ideal game to see. Um, I. I'm kind of at a loss for words as to how great that moment of theater. And when people talk to us, they say, what's the deal with the theater? That moment 
when we're hovered over the balcony, watching St. Pete's kind of slowly begin to slit the throat of Purdue and turning around quickly to watch Providence storm back against Kansas, albeit it was short-lived, but they did storm back. Just turning your head left and right like you're watching a boxing match or something as that's all unfolding. I mean, that right there is legitimately theater. So we were able to see that tremendous upset on Friday night. And then we saw that UCLA game afterwards, which was a tremendous collapse from them. I mean, they had that one in complete control, but it was a phenomenal weekend. Thank you all my boys that showed up. It was everything I could ever have asked for right there. That's college hoops. That's why, that's why we do it. That's why we watch these games for moments like that. And I feel good right now. We have a probably the perfect final four for us to observe. Only downside is, um, as you know, I won the Jerome and, as I said, I was going to storm into the top 10 in the bracket and my final two teams of Duke versus Kansas with Kansas winning. That's very much in play. Had Purdue won that game, I'm in the driver's seat, father. That If that finals happens, I wins right now. I'm being boxed out by two of my good friends, fiancés and wives. One of those fiancés being yours, father. So she, I mean, she's going to beat me. I can't pass her. She's got me in the Chinese finger trap. I got nowhere to go. Uh, because if Purdue actually just took care of business that night, I'm, I'm in charge. But that is a minor inconvenience for a major victory. So I, I will uh, – yeah, great weekend. Can you describe to me where you guys were sitting at these games? Because I was trying to figure it out via like Snapchat and Instagram. I'm sure some of our other listeners were. It kind of looked like you were in a suite, but like not in a suite really. Like can you just describe like what – I mean that's uh, I was trying to the- figure – yeah, I mean, that's probably the perfect way to describe them. They call them the revolutionary row up there, but it really was. It, it was like we had our own suite. We were as high as up as you can get. So the one downside of it was you can't really tell how the height disparity that was involved, which I imagine if you were watching that on TV, uh, you could definitely tell that ED was a monster relative to all those little peacocks out there. But uh, we couldn't really tell. But what you could see is just the floor opening up in the right spots. You could see St. Peter's. I went back and actually was watching the game the other day. I mean, so much of what they do is just kind of lowly to sleep, and then it's just one big cut. All it takes is one cut. And if you look at the numbers in that game, they shot like 30%. They weren't hitting threes, but they were 19 of 21 from the charity stripe. So all it just took was just them doing traditional good basketball cuts. Granted, they didn't do that on Sunday when they're playing Carolina, but uh, it, it was, you were able to see a lot of that unfold and you were able to see kind of Purdue's um, malaise uh, where they weren't really attacking the hoop much. All they were doing was pounded it into Travion Williams and Edie and hoping they would just get a layup and it just wasn't working. I, I will also say that there are minor things that make a major difference. Okay. In, in a lot of the sports that we watch, people will harken back to what they were trying to implement during the, their, their uh, spring training or their off season where they say, Hey, this little detail is going to matter in an AFC championship game in an ALCS, whatever it is. Okay. So these small little things made the experience that much better when we were sitting there, Taylor one empty bar, empty bar is in no one was at the bar whenever we wanted to go get a beer. And there was a very responding uh, bartender as well. Whatever beer you wanted, but there was no line at all. So you had access to that. Uh, two, we were sitting next to these old Jersey St. Peter's 
individuals. I'm pretty sure I have the audio. And by the way, at the end of this show, I will have all the sidewalk interviews that I did with Purdue, Carolina, UCLA, and St. Peter's fans. Uh, but this one particular St. Peter's guys, just, just picture the most Jersey individual that you can. He enhanced the experience. He was terrific. Okay. And then three, having one of your boys teams playing. Okay. And having that TV just right there so that at, during any, any TV timeout where we were watching St. Peter's Purdue, we can turn around, put an arm around your best friend, Brendan O'Rourke and watch the, the Friars put up a terrific fight against the Jayhawks. Those three things I don't want to go overlook. Now, of course we had all of our good friends as well. That was the driving factor, but those little crumbs, those are the ones that make a whole piece of toast. Don't forget about those. I would say that the bar situation is more than just a minor detail. I'm just going to throw that out there. I think I, I think it's a little more major, maybe a mid-major detail, let's call it there. But talk about a good friend, okay, in Bohr. His team is on the brink of their best season, like, of all time, essentially. And he's there supporting the Shark. Um, that's... I mean, that's real love right there. I know that's, that's heartwarming stuff right there. And I got it, got to hand it to the guy. Uh, we did do an advanced party that we sent in there to make sure that they, we would have a good TV setup. And it wasn't just, I mean, it was the perfect TV setup. He had his own couch. He had everything you could have want outside of him sitting courtside in Chicago. But yeah, I mean, the it, it, actions speak louder than words right there. And that was an outstanding action. I mean, look, hat tip to, to O'Rourke for sure, but, it's not like we didn't do any recon prior to this, like the shark had mentioned, but even so shark was basically saying, Hey, if you need to find a bar, if we can't get a perfect setup, go ahead and do it. And I think O'Rourke said, yeah, I'm going to, which that's perfect. That's how you get things done. I mean, I, I, I don't want to be that guy, but can you imagine a bachelorette party where a girl basically said, I have to leave for about four hours. I cannot join you because of this. Whereas us, we're, we're just saying, you're kind of crazy if you want to watch St. Peter's Purdue over your team potentially making history. So just a lot of good energy, a lot of good juices flowing. Oh, and also it should be noted, we had a party bus to the the Wells Fargo Center and then on the way back. So it was just a major motion picture. Yeah, undoubtedly, I mean, we were staying in Atlantic City at the Borgata. So, I mean, this is truly a man's bachelor party. A, whim, a woman should never do this. All right, this is, you are not cut for that for that kind of day. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was, it was everything you would want right there. So I talked a little bit about this in my latest blog post, the buffer day Taylor, you remember the buffer day, right? Yeah. I mean, you are the king of the buffer day. And I think I've implemented it in reverse, right? So the buffer day for those that don't know is when you get back from a major epic weekend with your buddies, doesn't have to be a bachelor party. could be a wedding as well. Could be uh, an engagement party. I don't know, just a boys trip, a golf trip, right? You get back on Sunday, the buffer day is the following day, that Monday. And I usually, I used to take that off because I said to myself, I need that extra day because the hardest part isn't necessarily getting at your laptop at your desk and doing the work. The hard part is peeling yourself out of bed, taking a shower, okay, driving to work, sitting in that traffic, and just dreading the wake-up call, the alarm clock. Now that that work from home has really stripped us of that because we get to work in our sweats, it's not like there's any process that we have to do. I don't take the, the buffer day anymore. I say, look, I'll just kind of be a bum, wake up at 8.30 or so on Monday, and then just start answering emails. 
But this is, I, I just want to say real quick, this is the one weekend where yesterday I was questioning that decision and said to myself, maybe I should have taken this day off despite the fact that I don't have to get ready at all. Shark, did that ever go through your head as well? Uh, if there was ever a time where it was, it, it was definitely this one because, um, it, I, like I said, it was the emotional come down from it. It's like once you get back on Sunday, you're like, shit, man, I'm going, I'm going back to life. Like life is here tomorrow, but uh, I, I, I agree with you. And on that point, the buffer days. So, and this is something I actually want to bring up right now. If people have suggestions for us, if you listen to our podcast, you probably listen to the same podcast we listen to. And one of those being the uh, the dog walk went on barstool when they do snake drafts and we actually did a snake draft recently this is something you can do with your boys you know just going around you pick a random topic topic and you do your own snake draft well we did one a few weeks ago uh with called veteran moves you know just like seasoned moves for an adult and the buffer day was about a third round pick just having that buffer day for this weekend and one idea that sub and i were talking about over the summer when we're getting into the dog days of college hoops we want to do snake drafts of college basketball related topics, whether that's players, teams, specific teams, coaches. I know they just did that one, but they were horrible at drafting those. So I think we could probably course correct them a little bit or just really just college basketball experiences just to fill some fill some time. So if you have good ideas for us, throw them our way. Uh, but but yeah, Buffer Day is certainly a veteran move for you to factor in there. Um, the number one veteran move being taking the Thursday and Friday off of March Madness. Got to have that. Another one that I drafted personally that I want to tout right now, getting a drink. So you're at a wedding and you're about to hear the wedding speeches, getting yourself a drink before those speeches happen. I was very proud of that pick. Uh, and then, you know, others ordering waters for the table. Um, I'm not going to throw a few of the more inflammatory ones out there that were first round picks. But, but yeah, those, those are some crucial picks to have. Yeah. So, we finally got past it. We're back to neutral. Let's talk about the game itself. We, heart, or we, we talked a little bit about it just at a surface level. Taylor, what did you see in that St. Peter's-Purdue game from your vantage point that maybe me and the Shark missed because we were a few deep. We didn't necessarily have you know the, the greatest courtside angle. What came to your mind when you were watching that Peacocks-Purdue game? I mean, God, I almost was having more fun watching you guys on Instagram and Snapchat than I was watching the game. And that's that's really saying something. No, I guess my biggest takeaway um, from that game more than anything else was I thought that, you know, that Edie and Ivy would have taken over. And they're way more talented than anybody on St. Peter's. You could combine everybody on St. Peter's talent into one or into two players and they still wouldn't be as talented as those two guys. So that was my biggest takeaway. I mean, that's not exactly going out on a limb by any means here, but the fact that those two only combined for like 20 points is really quite surprising. Um, I guess whenever these big time upsets happen with, with this one being, you know, one of the biggest upsets of all time, you know, not as big as Kentucky, but maybe given the round that it was in, um, you know, obviously some historical historical significance with the first time a 15 seed going this far. Um, you always just expect the quote unquote better team with the star players and the season coach. Just like, OK, flip the switch, flip the switch. I kept waiting for that during Arizona's loss to Houston as well. Not saying that Arizona was better than Houston, but kind of but kind of, uh, you know, a different 
situation, obviously two uh, more equally talented teams, but you keep thinking to yourself, all right, get the ball in Ivy's hands and just let him do what's necessary. Get it down low. You know, there's literally no one on this team that can guard a seven foot three guy. So that, that was what was surprising to me is that Purdue could just never flip the switch. And really, if you want to talk about a basketball program whose switch must just be taped down permanently, it's got to be Purdue's in these type of situations. Purdue can never flip that fucking switch in this situation, no matter who they're playing. They had the best like final four path I've ever seen, essentially. Just playing double. Di- the, the best team they played was Texas, and they sucked. So it, it playing three double-digit seeds to get to the Elite Eight, and you, you still can't even beat Doug, to get there is, is, is really shocking to me. I know that's not nothing, not anything specifically about the game, but boy, we, Sue and I, you were talking about this. We think that we're a tortured fan base is Arizona, you know, cause we seemingly kind of hit this block, you know, hit this, uh, you know, wall when we get to the sweet 16 or lead eight, but Purdue has got to be way more tortured than we are in that situation. A hundred percent. I also said this latest in the blog. I said it in a text message, I think on Saturday to the, to the group when I was waiting for them to finish up golfing and I was just sitting at the bar drinking by myself, talking to this lovely bartender about, I think it was Boise, Idaho, but I, it just dawned on me at that moment when I had a bit of clarity, that was the biggest thing I took away from the game. Taylor was there is no, there is no team that I would want to be a fan of less than the Purdue Boilermakers. All they do is stack talent. All they do is have great paths to the final four. They have teams built, right? They have a good coach in Matt Painter. And I think a lot of people use this game basically saying, if you can't beat St. Peter's, it's a very fair question of saying, when the hell is it ever going to happen? And if you're Purdue, right, you look at the final four field right now. And you see a Villanova who's been there three times in the last six years. You see Carolina who's been there maybe twice, I think, in the last six years or so. Won a title. Duke. Obviously, Villanova has those titles as well. Villan- or, uh, Kansas. They went to the Final Four and lost to eventual champion Villanova. And now they're all back there again within a relatively short time frame. And here's Purdue who has a guy like Zach Eady. And if you stack all the St. Peter's guys up, on top of each other, like Vincent Adultman and Bojack Horseman, maybe they'll they'll get to the same height as Zach Eady. But it, I mean, we we did this last week, and we said Eady's gonna just dominate. They're too small. Jaden Ivy's gonna dominate. And at what point do you just say, okay, it's almost like what we discussed with the shark when we said shark. I think right now, you moving forward, because this is what I've done. I've done this ever since the Buffalo loss. Uh, to when Arizona lost to Buffalo, I said, look, if it happens, great. But I'm entering this with by basically saying we're not going to get to a final four. If we do get to one, I'm I'm very pleasantly surprised. We said the same thing about Tennessee. What do you what do you do with Purdue? What's the point of even believing if you're a Boilermaker? Especially when you factor in the expectations that they had at the beginning of the year and even what's happened since. I mean, Stefanovic, who could have came back for another year, who played already had three threes, but he, he's not coming back. Eric Hunter, senior guard, no points, didn't score at all. Uh, Travion Williams is going to the draft. Ivy's certainly going to go to the draft. And these guys, I mean, they shot five for 21 from three. You're right. This was as perfect of a path as they could possibly have ever even envisioned for themselves. And for someone that hasn't been able to break through the final four and for 
nearly three decades at this point, actually longer than three, four, wait, it's 1980, right? I can't even do math right now. So we're talking four decades for a program that I, I think it's worse than even the Tennessee one, because Tennessee can at least go out and spend $8 million on a five-star quarterback to come kind of make us feel better. And just, they have that. I mean, Purdue is just people rooting for basketball. There's really nothing else that they have. And it's ingrained in the fabric of all those fans. So I think uh, the encouragement to them, I, I have no advice because it's almost unprecedented to even think about, especially when you look at how easy it was for them and how fortunate they did for have that draw, especially with the expectations going into it as well. So uh, feedback for them or really how, how can you fix it? I, I guess that's the only alternative is you just have to hope for the uh, assume the worst and hope for the best. Yeah. What, I mean, I know that I kind of uh, beat this fact into the ground over the course of years on this show, but I mean, it, it's still notable that Purdue has the most regular season, big 10 titles. They have two more than Indiana and four more than Ohio state. Those are the top three. And if you think of, how successful Indiana is versus Purdue. I know that's a sore spot, but um, you know, I mean, that's just crazy to think that they were, they were the best team in arguably the a conference that is the number one, two or three each year, 24 separate times and still have not really done anything with it. It's just wild. I think the two biggest, well, so number one, my advice would be to dig 10 toes deep into one of two camps. If you're a Purdue fan, one, just say, this is probably the the less insufferable person, but just say, yeah, we suck. We can't get it done. People will probably like you and then they'll feel sorry for you. Okay. Just openly admit, yes, you can make fun of me, dump on me. I understand that we can't get it done. And if one day we do terrific, if not, that's my expectation. So you can be in that camp or you can be in the second camp where you basically just talk about all the accolades and you're a stubborn mule and you talk about all those big 10 titles and you talk about the regular season and you talk about the big 10 conference tournament. But then when someone brings up the NCAA tournament, that's when you completely turn over the chessboard and walk away. Okay. So you can be one of those two guys. If you're Purdue, I think the biggest thing, the biggest gut wrenching thing for Purdue is that it seems as if they always lose to teams that are just so inferior to them. How do you, how can you tell a Purdue fan with this roster in the last two years that you were, you were taken down by North Texas and St. Peter's. I mean, Taylor, I, I know you brought up our fandom. I can sleep at night knowing that we lost to a Wisconsin team that ended up beating a perfect Kentucky team shark. It, it might be tough for you to a tough pill to swallow, but we saw what Hunter Dickinson could do. We saw what Oregon state did, even though that was shocking at that point, right? They ended up going to the elite eight. I mean, it just seems as if every and, – and you know what? There's inferior teams. Like maybe Michigan and Oregon State were inferior to Tennessee, but they're power teams. This is just a whole new level, the MAAC and Conference USA. So what that makes me think, usually is the grand optimist, but let me go – let me be pessimistic here for a minute. What that makes me think is not – about Purdue basketball it makes me think more of Arizona basketball in the sense of like, why don't we get to play North fucking Texas or St. Peter's ever in this situation? Why do we have to play number one, Wisconsin? Uh, you know, a Houston team coming back from the final four, a uh, UConn team that goes on a miracle run to win the final. You know, I, that, that's what, you know, now obviously Buffalo, that shit is a whole different story, but you know, that that's what makes me think of like, God, could you imagine having this path, you know, 
over and over again, not just this one time. So, yeah, I, I don't know what you do as a Purdue fan. Um, I am kind of in a different category than what you guys have talked about. I like to be the um, the guy with the expectations. I, I, I think that's how I dive into, you know, my fanhood a little more. It's like, no, like, this is it. This is the year. This is – we have all the talent, yada, yada, yada. I think it makes it that much sweeter. Well, I wouldn't know it what how sweet it is when when you win it but i think it makes it that much sweeter because you could be like yeah i knew i believed in this team whatever but i certainly wouldn't push back as hard on that thought now as i would have five years ago going through all of the disappointment that we have our you know friend of the program uh Jonas, his, his purdue fanhood is getting tested regularly regularly so i probably would push back less on that than i would five years ago just considering you know all of the factors uh involved here yeah, Shark, last last little question I have for you before we move on to these other games. How much of our presence, more specifically your presence, enhanced or really, really helped catalyzed Purdue or this St. Peter's win? Because your team was out last week. My team was out Thursday. O'Rourke's team was out that same day. The boys kind of needed a win. Now, you had your older brother who's a Duke guy, and he ended up, power purchasing tickets to New Orleans, which is sweet, but the boys needed a win. Yeah. And we got one. We got one. So I, I don't know. I mean, I will say Ivy had a pretty good look on that final three. He just didn't make it. I mean, he did not have a good game. So it was kind of just fortune at at the same time. I mean, Dougie Eater knocking down three free throws, cold blooded style right there when they needed him more than anything. The whole team knocking down free throws, huge shots left and right. I remember looking up at the scoreboard and wondering who's the, who are their leading scorers? And it's just everyone on that team was finding ways to contribute and step up at every moment of the game. Rupert and Defo, all these guys were just finding little things to do. And it was the perfect encapsulation, I guess, of their run. Um, and then, of course, you know, it, it, it finally came to an end when they were playing a team that was hitting their shots. So maybe that's all that really needed to happen. And then Shaheen Holloway went and took the job literally right after that game. I don't know. I, I don't know if the, the boys had finished up their shower before Shaheen was basically introduced or the, the news on Twitter broke. But good for him. I think everyone saw that coming. It just maybe maybe a day or so. I don't know. But I'm not going to tell him how to do his business. Hell of a run for St. Peter's. Let's talk about the second game, Shark. I'm going to kick it back to you. For me personally, the the UCLA-UNC Blue Blood game was such a blast, mostly because of the fans. We were at Xfinity Live before, and the place was flooded with Carolina, UCLA fans, t- like legendary fan bases that you hear about. Did you take anything specific away from the game or maybe the pregame or aftermath? Lively atmosphere, but Carolina, they show up. I, I would say if there is, I, I would, I mean, that fan base, I guess, doesn't get the credit that Big Blue Nation does, but they they were, um, outside of the Peacocks fans, which were mainly the casual fans just embracing the moment, Carolina definitely had a very strong contingent that was there. Uh, but it was, I, I guess, maybe I was just looking at a lot of the Royal Blue versus Carolina Blue. Maybe I was wrong about who was, had a better presence. But I don't know. The second game, to me, it kind of started, it, it, it was almost, the energy was sucked from the building a little bit just because of what everyone just experienced with everyone doing the defense chants, everyone up for St. Peter's people going wild. You referenced the guy that was from Jersey I mean, to paint a picture of this guy, picture him as a, a, uh, a guy 
that needs a favor from Tony Soprano in an episode of The Sopranos. Just like that, that to a T. Not quite Davy Scatino level of of look to him, but really just someone you could expect walking up outside of a diner in a leather coat saying, Hey Tony, good to see you. You know, my aunt needs two hundred dollars for this. Can you help me out? This this type guy. Uh, but I mean, the arena was filled with those type guys. So it was a great atmosphere. The pregame Philly's got it set up right with all their stadiums in one spot. The Xfinity Live Center was bumping. There's people riding fake cows, uh, fake. Um, what are those called? Fake horses. Bulls? Yeah, riding the bull. There's just say fake horses. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, yeah, riding you the bull. Right. Maybe yeah. you are still recovering a little. Uh, bit yeah, I guess maybe. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, it was it was a it was a perfect atmosphere for a Sweet Sixteen weekend everything you need. So I will say, and this is, you know, obviously I wasn't there, but you know, obviously North Carolina is a little closer to Philadelphia than UCLA is. So you're just going to have more fan there fans there, but I do think you bring up. Well, you, you guys are the first to call out UCLA, UCLA fans for not being that intense. Well, yeah, they also don't even show up to LA when yeah. they live there. Yeah. I'm right. I hear you are defending them for not showing up. To well, I, yeah. Right. Well, I, what really what I wanted to say though, is I do think we undervalue North Carolina's fan base a little, a little bit. Um, I think we all obviously know them as a great fan base, but we don't ever talk about them as a great fan base. Maybe that would be a good way to put it. Right. Um, I think on our uh, college basketball manifesto, I think we probably undersold them compared to, you know, like the Kansases, even perhaps the Dukes of the world uh, in terms of uh, their fan base. And because I think one thing that we undervalue about North Carolina is actually how big their fan base is. Um, that is the state's team. Nobody in North Carolina actually really gives a fuck about Duke in, in comparison. Um, there are more NC state fans in North Carolina than there are Duke fans. Cause only like nine people have actually gone to Duke. So um, that's just a point that I wanted to bring up, but it, it, it really shows how good of your experience or how good your experience must've been. If you said that it was deflating after the St. Peter's win, then to then have to watch a UCLA North Carolina game, um, which was a great game as well. Um, one that, as you noted, uh, UCLA kind of gave away down the stretch there. You know, I didn't think Hawk has played all that great. Actually, let me put it this way. UCLA didn't play that badly. Their stars just didn't shoot well in, in Ju Zhang and, and Hawkins. That was kind of the bigger key more than anything else. Um, and then it also didn't help that Caleb Love scored 30 points on him. So, I mean, what was that like? Tell me your guys' perspective on this game, the actual gameplay itself. Taylor, you are segueing so beautifully to all of my points. I really appreciate it. We're working in lockstep here because when we were kind of kind of making fun of Purdue – we didn't give a ton of credit to St. Peter's, and they've gotten a ton of credit all all, all tournament. And this game, we're talking about Hawkes maybe not stepping up, but he was also a little hurt. Juzang, I've been concerned about for quite some time. I thought Jules Bernard would step up, but I was moved to tears. And it could have been the 9% alcohol uh, voodoo rangers I was putting down, but I was moved to tears watching Caleb Love put on a virtuoso performance in Philadelphia that night. That guy was amazing. I think he finished with 30 points. It was the Caleb Love game. And what makes those games so much fun and 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 what makes this tournament so unpredictable is, yeah, Caleb Love's, it, it, he's not some nobody, but everyone's talking about Armando Baycott. In terms of the name cachet that people are talking about between both teams, Caleb Love might be fifth or sixth on that list, okay? And so him showing up, putting the team on his back, it's what, 
it's what final four teams need sometimes, or at least teams that shouldn't be there. The, the five seeds are below when you're an eight seed and you're in a battle against probably the most dangerous four seed we've seen in quite some time in UCLA. Sometimes you just need a superhero and, and Caleb love put on the Cape and watching him just come down, come off screens, hit deep, hit deep threes left and right. I mean, it was one of the it, you, witnessing a heat check in person is something else, I will say, Shark. Well, I was just going to bring up the old point I made several months ago. UCLA and Arizona, you guys played – when you lost to them, it was at UCLA, but they had no fans, correct? No, so they, that, was the first, that was the first game that they had fans back. Did they have fans? Yes. Yeah, conveniently, conveniently Newsom let them I have fans have right for the – air. No, they no, did. I, it was I the guarantee first game it was. Because I was saying in December – that UNC and Arizona on a neutral court, I would like UNC to win that game. And look where we are right now. You guys were laughing at me. Everyone was laughing at me. Everyone was laughing. Well, who would you take? Would you take Houston or UNC in a neutral court? UNC. Oh, boy. I mean, you got to say that for the purpose of your argument. I do. Yeah. <laughs> and, we, and we have kind of a little hindsight situation here, you know, so – yeah, it's all about. Um, just, I mean, the, also the reason I want to bring. Are we just not going to talk about the Arizona game at all, or just pretend it never happened? No, we can talk about. No, it. I, I, I have a numerous amount of complaints about it. If you guys want to dive into that, well, um, I don't want to go numerous, but let's. You know, yeah, yeah, go ahead. Give me your thoughts. Yeah, I, I mean, wanted to, I wanted to get to the Friday games first because that was okay, the right. highlight. That was the highlight right. of our weekend. I, I knew agree. we'd get there. I knew we'd get there. I did want to make a point. This is kind of putting cart way before horse. But the Elite Eight games just sucked compared to all of the Sweet 16 games. I mean, the Elite Eight games were like, especially Sunday. Actually, what a fortunate day for you guys to have as a travel day back home because neither of the games were even worth watching. The Miami game, the first half was Miami-Kansas, but then the second half was like the biggest drubbing of all time. But here's here's the only pushback I'll give you there is when I got home, I was so – like I had one foot – on my bed, I was so deadly tired, but I was like, God damn it. I got to stay up to see if St. Peter's wins this game. And then by the time they were up like 20 under, under eight timeout still, I said, okay, I can go to sleep, but I had to witness that whole game for fear of missing out. But I understand yeah, the elite eight games, no good. And even the one that was close, the Houston Nova game, like set offensive basketball back like 50 years. So 50, 46 game to get to the final four. Um, which is the type of game Houston plays, which is the type of game that Houston made Arizona play, which is why Houston uh, came out victorious on that. Um, I, I had two takeaways from the Arizona game um, that I think were the real differ, difference makers. I think for maybe the first time or one of the first two or three times uh, this year and in his young coaching career that Tommy Lloyd just got smoked by the other team's coach. Uh, I think Kelvin Sampson, which Kelvin Sampson talked about underrated coach in America. I mean, he, this guy's probably a top, could be a top five coach in college basketball. Nobody ever doesn't get any of the credit for that. Um, he actually said something about that in post game. He's like, yeah, the nobody, the, nobody's defended Arizona correctly all year. That's why we, you know, we thought it was pretty glaring. Um, and that's why we were able to, to dominate or not dominate, but able to shut them down. Uh, but really, I think the two, you know, the two factors were Tommy Lloyd did not make hold of Sean Miller, did not make any necessary adjustments to pretty much anything during the game, especially the players on the court. 
And by one player on the court specifically is who I'm referencing, and that's Azulas Tubelis, who played probably the softest individual game I've ever seen a high major D-level or D1-level basketball player play. Um, this guy, uh, was it Shark that said that Tubelis sometimes looks like he plays six foot four? Uh, he played five foot eight in this game, uh, went O of eight, had like five turnovers, was throwing the laziest, whether it be entry pass or perimeter passes. Uh, this got missed, just got absolutely swatted at the rim once, missed two lay- layups, just bunnies, was not, could, would not even try to play defense, didn't even attempt to box out. Um, I absolutely lost my shit in one sequence where he got blocked. We went down the other way. He lost his man, and that guy hits a three. Then we go back the other direction. The dude throws a turnover away, goes back the other direction, gets beat again, then goes back on offense, misses a layup, and then goes back, doesn't box out for the offensive rebound. Ball gets swung around and then doesn't close out on his guy for three, and I fucking lost it. Pretty sure my neighbors think I'm a psycho, which is probably half true. And that's about the point that my girlfriend was like, yeah, I think – I'm going to go <laughs> watch a different show. But I say that all, not that players can't make mistakes, right? But then he gets left in the game after this. I'm like, what are we even doing out here right now? This cannot be the best person we have in this situation. So very long-winded answer. Apologize about that. But for me, that was my biggest complaint. Is not that we lost, but I'm like, hey, we have a glaring, glaring weakness out here right now, and we're not doing a single thing about it. Yeah, I think the only two items that or maybe three items that i want to bring up high level one we lost to a better team we got punched in the absolute face uh there was a slight moment with me though coming out of the under 16 timeout after in the second half i was like damn we have this to two we've been dominated all game maybe if we just put together a run houston wouldn't allow it to happen uh and and they they, i think they shot 40 some odd percent from three you're not going to be able to beat teams like that. And so they consistently held like an eight to 10 point lead. We weren't going to beat Houston at that point. And that's a, you just got to tip your cap to Kelvin Sampson and a really tough team. Number two, I think it should be noted. If you told me at the beginning of the year in Tommy Lloyd's press conference, that they would be, they would have 30 plus wins sweet 16 and they lose to Houston, a team coming off of a final four. I'd say, sign me up. I really can't be that upset. Uh, it did help alleviate the pain that I was with some of my best buddies and I had some of the best shoulders to cry on and I was on another planet. And I think if I was sitting in the comfort of my own home, that would have stung a little bit more. But that was another uh, thing that that I was okay with, I suppose. But the third point, and this is just as Arizona as a whole, okay? You look at some matchups in the tournament and you say, that's an easy pick that's an easy pick, right? Like I'm I, that's for a lot of people are going to say uh, Houston over, over Arizona. And I just wish Arizona was a program that could be like, no, fuck that. We're the one seed. Why is everyone picking Houston? Let's go out and dominate this game. But you go down the line of their tournament losses, Wichita state, Wisconsin's right. Yukon's they never just come up and say, Screw the rest of America. Let's punch these guys in, in the mouth. Whenever someone picks against Arizona, it's usually the right call. And there's a lot of teams where it's the wrong call, where you say, I'm going to test these guys. And so I think Arizona as a whole, uh, that needs to change at some point. Those are my three big takeaways. Shark, I don't know if you have anything to add. No, I don't. I mean, uh, to your credit, you were completely locked in on that one. I In the sports book, I was watching Texas Tech Duke, which was 
terrific game. And I think one of the things that probably stings the most for the, the Houston component of this is they come out on Saturday night and they shoot one for 20 from three against Villanova. And, you know, that's just something that's the game, man. That's the sport that we sign up that we want to be a part of. There's no way to predict anything. Um, generally it always ends in heartbreak unless you root for one of these four teams that somehow find them themselves in a final four again. Uh, and all of us other losers are sitting here hoping for one of our teams to break through at some point, but that's why we keep coming back, man. But that's the, ups the, and downs. that's the best way to put it shark, because you look at these four teams and there's levels to this. Okay. So the Arizona's, the Illinois, the Purdue's, they can string together all these winning streaks. They can put it the Tennessee's. They can, they give can win Tennessee their in there. I'll give you Tennessee. Give me a Tennessee in there. They can win. I don't know, but I don't know if you want to be lumped in with this group. They can win their conference tournament. They can play amazing. They can look great. They can lock up a top three seed. But at the end of the day, it's the it's the teams like Carolina that have been to the final four in the last six years. Villanova, which has jam-packed like three lifetimes worth of success since 2016. You got Duke who's won a title. Duke and Carolina have won titles so recently, and they did it within a three-year window. Okay. And you know who who split them up? It was Villanova. And you know who won again? It was Villanova. And you know who Villanova beat to win one of their titles? It was Kansas. These are, there's levels to this fandom and levels to all this where if I'm one of those teams and I hear an Arizona, Illinois, a Tennessee being like, oh, no, we got him, it's like, I'd laugh. I, I just laugh because the shit that, that these four teams consistently and recently do is is beyond comprehension it's it's truly amazing so look at it this way right so we we were all pretty much as consensus as arizona is the ninth best basketball program in the history of college basketball right and they actually in our manifesto would potentially move up a spot considering the the amount of wins they had this year the conference tournament wins the conference win all that you know sweet 16 whatever and yet the space between them and the teams ahead of them actually got far further away so it's definitely a rich get richer situation and this is nothing against any of those programs by any means this is a, a, a you know a shout out to them but that's funny that we you know we talk about that because Arizona is not a slouch basketball program by any means you know and yet the gap between them and the teams ahead of them still got even further despite a, a, a phenomenal season so yeah I, I I don't even know what else to say other than that but you shark go ahead yeah, I just say to make matters even worse, a month ago, everyone's talking about how terrible the ACC is. Everyone's talking about North Carolina being a bubble team. Everyone's laughing at Duke on Coach K's last game against North Carolina. These, this was not supposed to happen this year, but again, they just find a way to get into that that March groove, and they're one of those teams that maybe you can call it good breaks or you can call it just the organizational culture. But, he, but even then, you look at, uh, you know, Tennessee's made one Elite Eight in their entire program's history. All right. St. Fucking Peter's just made it this year. You know, the year before that Oregon state who was terrible all year and just snuck back their way into the tournament gets Tennessee in the first round, beats them and goes to an elite eight. Anyways, it's just, there's no way to make any rhyme or reason to it. So I guess to go call back to the Purdue advice, you guys can't do anything to control it at this point. You've at least made it to Elite Eight relatively recently. Be grateful for that. But and I think that's the craziest part with this four is, yes, we all agree that there's so much parity and, and so much that's unpredictable about this tournament. 
except for, I mean, Villanova. I, I We need to spend time on Villanova, man. This run that they're on is, I, I, I cannot, I cannot believe it. If you're a Villanova fan, life is great. Life is great. Jay Wright's basically doing what Tom Izzo used to do, where I think it was like, if you stay four years in East Lansing, you will go to a final four, except Jay Wright might just take it a next step. And be like, if you stay four years, I'll get you a national championship game winner. Yeah. I mean, what they're doing is, is absurd. Uh, let me go back one second before I continue on Villanova. I keep saying this and it keeps raining true. And I just, uh, just from my own mental stability or lack thereof i just want to point out that arizona basketball is only getting more like the green bay packers which are my two teams they lose at the same fucking spot with the same amount of expectations every single year now at this point um i'll just leave it at that but it's a yeah let's leave it at that i'm done with arizona we gotta talk about actual winners for a minute yeah good 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 yeah no and i this this is not I, I hate to say this because I should never say this, but I didn't really exactly think that highly of Villanova this year. I didn't even think they should be a two seed. I thought, you know, shot t- thought Tennessee should be a two seed, Villanova a three seed. And that I thought the path for anybody going through Villanova to get to the final four was going to be a test, but not, you know, not a test like it was a couple of years ago with like the Chris Jenkins teams, things of that nature. But nope, it's the same thing over and over again no matter whether the game's pretty or not, like the game against Houston was absolutely not pretty at all. Um, Villanova is usually kind of more of an offensive-minded team, one would say, but they've shown the propensity to be able to win whatever game is put in front of them. And that's really the most impressive thing about Jay Wright is um, they pretty much look at the bracket and say, fuck the path. We are the path. You know, that's, and, and that's really a, I mean, I guess what a what a thing to be able to say as a Villanova fan is like, no, we don't care about the path because we are the path. This bracket goes through us. And so that that would be an unbelievable thing to be able to say as a fan. The Villanova thing that drives me even more nuts is you used to just think it was they got they got Gillespie or they got Archie Diakono or they have these guys, Jalen Brunson. They have these guys that are so clutch. They do everything you could possibly want them to do. Michigan this past, excuse me, Villanova this past weekend played. Michigan and Houston and Colin Gillespie was five for 20 from the floor and they just dominated both those teams. So, I, I mean, it's just, uh, I don't know what you can do to stop them. I mean, they have the injury to more now that's terrible, but, uh, and they don't have a very deep bench, but I'm sure there's just another guy coming off the bench. That's the next Justin Moore, or the next Gillespie there. There's another Archie Diakono. So that kid's going to come in and have his coming out party. And we're just going to do this again for many more years. And, and that's the thing. And that, that, is a Jay Wright, in my opinion. There's, I say there's levels to fandom. There's a reason why the Hall of Fame isn't the Hall of Very Good. I mean, Jay Wright's a Hall of Famer, Bill Self's a Hall of Famer, Roy Williams, Coach K. They are far superior than a lot of these other coaches that haven't consistently been to the Final Four. And it's not just luck, it's not the draw, whatever the hell you want to call it. And then another thing about some of these coaches in these programs, Shark, I, I, I know you find this fascinating as well as I do. There's pivotal moments, or there's always moments, I feel like, with some coaches. And Jay Wright was one of them. And people are asking Matt Painter. They're asking Sean Miller. They're asking a lot of these coaches, like, can you mark few? But I, I, I personally think if you can get to Final Fours, you're a hell of a coach and you're a hell of a program. Because winning those last two games is incredibly difficult. So I'm not going to judge you on winning a national title. But getting to a Final Four, 
Yes, that is that is something that can be judged. And you look at a guy like Matt Painter, and you say to yourself, can he ever get over the hump? Can he get the job done? And people were saying the same thing about Jay Wright. And now he's sitting here in the Hall of Fame with two titles and a chance at three. I would agree. And I think those two are great comparisons. Although, I mean, Jay Wright, I think, I mean, he's pretty up there in age. Like he's just surprisingly older than you think. I think he may be like 60 years old. Uh, but th- to the point is Villanova, I used to discount the final four trips because ever I, I used to be a guy that said, oh, Izzo, he's only won one title despite all the final fours he went to. But going through this path, going through the gauntlet, realizing how hard it is to get there. And then once you get there, you just need to have one thing happen. And then the floodgates can open. For Villanova, that was Chris Jenkins, the buzzer beater against North Carolina in 2016. And since then, it's just been a complete domination of the sport. I mean, they are the best program in college basketball since then. They're and a dynasty, all, right? Is it? Are we yeah. okay to call them a dynasty in college basketball? Oh, yeah, yeah. I, for sure, for sure. Because if that shot doesn't go down, maybe they go back to being the lovable losers again. Uh, I mean, it could be very much like what Texas Tech had when they lost in their finals game, where you know where they're struggling to get back beyond an elite eight or really anything beyond it at this point. They may. I, I know that's a not the greatest example in the world because Texas Tech is still consistently competitive, but. What if five years from now, Texas Tech doesn't make another Final Four or anything like that? I mean, all it takes is one thing to break your way, but you got to get your ass there first. So I I think you bringing up the floodgates opening uh, is, is a perfect example because I always said that with Sean Miller, if we made one, if Arizona made one, then it was just going to be pew, like, you know, 10 over the next 25 years from there, right? Which is exactly like the trend that, that Villanova is on right now. Um and I think that it's crazy how many programs just get stuck right there. Um, I mean, look at even Houston or uh, UConn. UConn is a great example of if three shots essentially don't go down, UConn is just like a run-of-the-mill, above-average basketball program, essentially, right? But because they, you know, got there got through you know over the hump and learned how to get over the hump even if it was just one shot at a time you needed one thing to go your way like that's the inches that it takes plus and i want to ask sue are we not giving hubert davis any any credit here or what dude that's the third time you've you've said beautifully because i also want to bring up in the year of first year coaches right tommy lloyd did a terrific job mark adams did an, uh, uh, an amazing job in lubbock okay i think there may be other first year head coaches but Hubert Davis is the one still standing and he's the one that replaced an absolute Titan, a legend. Okay. And Hubert Davis is still standing. It's, it's a tremendous, tremendous story for him. Is this a Kevin Ollie situation? I'd love it to be a Kevin Ollie situation for me. I don't give a shit. Go win a title. That's how starved I am. Go ahead, shark. I, I, I mean, I, it's his first year and he's just so lucky. I mean, it's not lucky, but I mean, he's so fortunate. I mean, the guy hasn't really had to do it, grind through anything other than be Roy's assistant man for a couple of years, work on the ESPN set. This guy's just living the life over here. He didn't have to grind through anything too difficult. He's just sitting in a final four in his first year. How so, can you not be I, happy about that? I, I guess I would be happier for guys that have, you know, just toiled in the industry for like 20 years rather than a guy that just sat next to an elite coach for I don't even know how long he was there and then ends up in a final four, but I don't know. I, I would be happier. 
I, ju- I just find it difficult to be super happy for him. I saw him breaking down on the TV. It was a touching moment. I think he was playing up the adversity about what the team faced a little bit. I mean, you're still North Carolina at that point. Like, I'd be significantly happier for for a coach that has been um, kind of snake bitten. Like, if it was a Matt Painter or a Rick Barnes or one of those guys, I, re- I, I mean, I think those are the two examples that jumped to my mind. Or if Mark Feuder finally won a title, those would be the ones that I would be more pleased for than Hubert Davis rolling out of bed, getting his Carolina job and going to the final four his first year. What's going to happen next? He's going to walk on water. Well, and without, I didn't, without getting your socks wet. Yeah. And I didn't mean the Kevin Ollie comparison as a compliment, by the way, like that was not a compliment. I because, know you didn't, but right. I'm telling you, if I was a UConn fan, like people don't value titles enough. Okay. Like who gives a shit what happened to Kevin Ollie after he won a national title? He won. That's all that matters. I'd kill well, for a Kevin Ollie. And why I why I say that though is like you know I think everybody and it, we'll we'll read this throughout the off season this year, whether that for North Carolina starts on Saturday or on Monday, we'll see or Tuesday I should say. Um, I think everyone expected UConn to just cruise from there. Oh well, Kevin Ollie came and won a title. You know, oh they're just going to continue, and that's exactly the articles we're going to see about North Carolina. North Carolina misses nothing without you know. Roy, blah, 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 which in reality, there's there's not a lot of good comparisons uh, for this uh, type of event other than Kevin Ollie. Um, I yeah, I, I would imagine what an interesting situation, too, with them facing Duke. Shire is going to take over next year. You're going to have, uh, you know, a, a coach that's made a final four in Hubert Davis in his second year and John Shire in his first year. That'll be a completely interesting thing uh, to monitor next year. But do we have any thoughts on – I know this is the only thing the college basketball world is going to talk about for the next four days, but I feel like we have to at least, you know, approach a little bit the discussion of North Carolina Duke in yeah. the final four. Yeah, so I think we'll break that down for Friday's episode that will come out. The one thing I will I will say, because I don't think I've audibly conveyed this message. I've tweeted it a bunch of times. I've blogged it a couple times. This is the greatest rivalry in sports, bar none. Tired of your Ohio State-Michigan back and forth where Ohio State just beats the absolute crap out of Michigan every single year. I don't want to hear that nonsense. Red Sox-Yankees, they play too often during the regular season. Sure, there's a couple postseason crazy memories. What else? Bears-Packers, enough. I don't want to hear about that nonsense either. The the, the great and, And even the NFC East rivalry, Shark, I'm sorry. They're not there. The greatest rivalry in all of sports is Duke, North Carolina. Every single chapter, everything delivers every single time. I like if even if you look at this year, Carolina. Okay, the other day we're thinking to ourselves, man, Carolina ended Coach K's career. There's no way he can have a rebuttal shot. There's no way there's any sort of redemption. And yet, only in this rivalry, in a Final Four winner go home game does carolina say nope i'm putting the kibosh on this once and for all or duke says you know what i'm gonna i'm gonna redeem my coach i'm gonna fix this terrible sour ending that was a couple months ago only this rivalry can deliver that if michigan state or if michigan ohio state can give me a semifinal i'll gladly potentially entertain that that's what we're looking at right now with duke carolina not to mention the entire history of all the buzzer beating winning winning shots. I mean, to go off that point, I, imagine you're a young Billy Shakespeare, right? And you're living in some English 
log house, wherever the hell he grew up, or your Oscar Wilde and your, your famous playwright. And your whole idea is I got to tell stories that entertain people. I got to come up with them on my own. I got to create the theater. These guys couldn't even come up with Duke Caroline in the final four coach K's last game, everything on the line, the embarrassment from a month ago, this is truly perfect. We are we actually would be a little bit better if they played in the finals, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to pick apart that right there. Some of our greatest college basketball games come in the final four game. Not in the finals game. You can even go back to last year, Father. Where were we? We're Declan's. That's right. Chicago UCLA, Gonzaga. You even go further back. You got Kentucky versus Duke. The shot, the Leitner shot. These are all regular Final Four games. So we may have that this year again. Leitner shot was Elite Eight. I stand corrected. Four. That's why yeah. I keep this guy around, guys. Everyone says, Sharp, Sharp. you like Taylor? Look at that. You keep him around. <laughs> Uh, one more point, I guess, before we roll out about North Carolina, you know, another, I guess, let's just go nugget here, right? If they can tie as the lowest seed or highest seed to ever win a national title with Villanova. So that's why I like your point. It's speaking of segues about what, why this might not even be uh, a necessary game to play in the title is because you could then you could take Coach K down in the fi- second to last game and then tie, I guess, what they consider to be, you know, a team that played the perfect game against Georgetown in 1985 in facing Villanova. Yeah, I, a lot of storylines here. I mean, uh, and one more great example, Miracle on Ice was not was also the finals. just about to say that. Not, yeah, it was also not the finals. So, yeah. I mean, yeah, there's a lot of I, I almost like it more this way because then we can focus on the rivalry itself and then move on to the title and use that as two separate talking points rather than roll it. Because there's not enough time on this podcast or on any show in a two-day span on a Sunday to to discuss the rivalry and the championship. So I kind of like that they're split up. Well, and my other point for why this is the greatest rivalry in sports, I mentioned it earlier. In a three-year span, I think between 2015 and 2017, Carolina and Duke won titles. Okay, when was the last time the Bears won a won a Super Bowl in the eighties? Right, eighty five. Also, nineteen eighty five. Eighty five. Okay. Whereas the Packers have won it and been far more competitive. What I mean, we're talking we're talking Ohio State, Michigan. Michigan shared one in ninety seven. Ohio State's been dominating them. It bears repeating, and I sound like a oh please like my sport guy, but this is one of those arguments that really ticks me off because Carolina Duke every single game delivers every single time and they win titles. Okay. That matters. They win titles and they're both in a position to do the exact same again this year. Just because it's right here in front of us. Let's just point out that the Yankees have only won one world series in the last 22 years as well. That too, that too. All right. We're going to get the hell out of here. I need to calm down, but I am back that see, I think that really rejuvenated me and I'm focused now on closing out the last three days of this week. Strong. I will go ahead and do that. Boys, thank you again for your insights. We'll get into the final four picks uh, later this week. We do have a final four set. It's the Blue Blood final four. We'll discuss if it's the best one we've seen in quite some time. But as always, we appreciate you listening. We'll catch you next time here on Theater and College Who. What I'd like you to do now is enjoy the lovely stylings of uh, a drunk rambling me asking Boilermaker, Peacock, Bruins, and uh, who am I missing? Targets. Tar Heel fans, some questions. Enjoy, ladies and gentlemen. How the hell are you in the Elite Eight? What happens? How are you in the Elite Eight? I have no idea, man. It's amazing. Really is amazing. Um, young dog. They have a lot of heart. They got a lot of soul. They play a fast game. 
and they took it to them. And I think Purdue kind of thought they were going to go with the big guys and, you know, win the paint. And St. Peter's took it to them. They outsmarted them in every sense of the way. They, outget, they got out coached Purdue also. And all I can say is, I'm so happy for them. Can you believe you're here? No, I can't. I can't. I can't believe I can't believe the game I just saw. What a game. This is what collegiate sports is all about. This is the difference between collegiate sports and pro sports. They play hungry. They play for the gusto. They play to win. They play for the championship. They're not getting paid. They're here to win. And that's why collegiate sports is the best. Eels fans, I host a college basketball podcast. Can I ask you a quick question or two? Sure. Yeah. Why are you guys a bigger blue blood than UCLA? Oh, I mean, just look at the tradition of this school. We're a better team. All they have is John Wooden. Half the people here probably think John Wooden's still the coach. UNC, go Tar Heels. Great, great day to be a Tar Heel. What is it? GT. What was that? GTA yeah, DHG yeah, or something? Yeah, yeah, great day to be a Tar Heel. I'm an Arizona fan. I fucking hate UCLA. How do we fucking beat them? How do we beat them tonight? Hey, you know what? You just keep doing what we've been doing. We go out, shoot the three well, whoever's hot, whether it's Caleb Love or RJ Davis, get them the rock, let them do their thing. Brady Maddox is going to come out. He's going to have a great game, and he's not going to get ejected this time. Hopefully, you know, we'll see I what the refs do. But Arizona's not beating anyone anymore. No, we lost. <laughs> Here's my oh, thank you very much. I lost my sunglasses. Here's my last question Why was Armando Baycott not the ACC player of the year? Oh, don't even get me started. That was ridiculous. He had the most first team all ACC votes and doesn't, and doesn't win ACC. <laughs> absolutely ridiculous. He should have been. He has the most double-doubles in the year. He set a UNC record for double-doubles. He's the man. He's going to go off tonight, guaranteed. Tar! Heel! Tar! Heel! I host a college basketball podcast. I had to ask them because I sell the Boiler Up shirts. And I wanted to know, what are the keys to getting to the Final Four? Well, we got a, we've got a couple things. Uh, one is that Travion Williams, who's who's the, the if you will, the the best number six man in the Big Ten. Uh, they've been able to bring him in, and he, he kind of changes the flow. So, so just when they think they're getting settled with with uh, Edie, the seven foot four, two hundred ninety five pound giant, uh, they bring in Travion, and he's got quick hands. He can pass like hardly anybody else, and he knows how to move to the basket. So, so when you get, I'm sorry. So when you get, when you get Travion with Jake and Ivy, uh, the, the two of them can work off each other because Ivy is probably one of the premier athletes in the entire NCAA. Why are you guys better than Indiana? <laughs> well, because we are the Indiana University. Or there ain't no state called Purdue. Well, here's what we've come to. We have finally accepted that Indiana is probably the best community college in the entire state. I mean, that's, that, that's, that's, that's where I would put it. Hi, St. Peter's. I host a college basketball podcast. I would like to know if you were to fill in the blank, okay? How do you beat, or no, no, you guys beat Purdue if... We rebound. We have there you go. Defense. And the fans cheer really loud. Yeah. Yeah, let's go. All right. <laughs>
Are you guys from Jersey City? We're not from Jersey Where are you guys from? New York. New York. All right. Where's Shaheen? They took that as an insult. Where's Shaheen's from? New York. Shaheen? Well, is Shaheen Holloway going to stay at St. Peter's? We would love that. How do we get our team to the Elite Eight? Really good defense. Really good um, controlling the ball and taking those extra minutes. Seven floor from Purdue. Correct. That guy's a fucking freak, yeah. huh? And the problem is, this is Big Ten basketball that they're going up against. It's a little bit different than the Mac, but hey, everybody thought that about the SEC, so who knows? Well, so can I ask you guys a question about uh, Kentucky? Yes. What did you guys do the night you beat Kentucky? Uh, we had Just a giant party and did shots, quite frankly. And we were extremely excited. Very proud of you. Go Peacocks. Can you strut? Can you strut?